Good morning. If I haven't met you, uh, I, like Murray, would love to meet you as well. Um, my name is Fritz, and I'm with Murray, one of the pastors here. I found myself uh, this past week, um, got home late, microwaved a dinner, and turned on the TV, and I just got in that rabbit hole of flipping through the channels. Anybody ever do that? And I stumbled upon an old movie that was like my generation's movie called The Matrix. Yeah, I still don't understand it. Tony tried to explain it to me this weekend. I don't get it. But what I do understand about that movie, over and over and over, what it emphasizes is that this young sort of computer guy named Neo, who's kind of living this meaningless existence, he's the one. He is the one that is chosen to save some universe I don't understand. And my wife walked out and said, I thought Harry Potter was the one. I said, well, fair enough. In the Gospel of John, John clearly says that all of those fictitious stories, all the myths, all the fables, all the fairy tales, even the real stories where we try to anoint someone, some group, some nation, some person, some spouse, some child, and say, that's the one. It's not. John says there's one. There's one Christ. There's one Son of God. And if you believe in Him, and even if the entire culture says it's a joke and that's the myth, you keep believing in Him. And you remain in Him. And you follow Him. You will see He is the one and by believing in Him, you will have life. Let's look at our text this morning from John chapter 1, verse 35 through 42. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to him, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, which means rock. Let's pray again. God, we ask 
that you would show us the one. And that you would give us faith in him. Faith that is continual. That we would believe in him, continue to believe in him, and have life. But we need you through the Holy Spirit to do that which we cannot do of ourselves. That you might work miracles in our midst today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as you heard Murray allude to, uh, many of the men of this church who were able to get away this weekend at different parts of the weekend went to a men's retreat. And you've heard us talking about this men's retreat and promoting this men's retreat and making announcements and all of this and that. But I don't think we're going to have to do that next year. And I'll tell you why. It wasn't because of the mattresses that were like the mattress I slept on in my one night I spent in jail. It wasn't the cold showers that you had to push about 30 times to get warm water if you were willing to wait. And once it came out, it just blew you away. And the food was terrible. I mean, the food was just horrible. You, you don't, I mean, ladies, your husband, I mean, it's just terrible. Just kidding. The food was fantastic. The weather, oh my goodness, it was fantastic. But whether the, the, the tougher, challenging stuff or the beautiful stuff, this is why we're not going to really have to make a lot of announcements, though I will next year, but it's because people or guys who went are going to talk about it. Do you know why they were going to talk about it? Because in all of those things, Jesus was there. And what I mean by that is you could not but soak in the goodness of Jesus just by being outside, having unhurried time, walking by and seeing a group of men who don't get this kind of time talking together and fellowshipping and laughing and enjoying one another, uh, playing cornhole. You walk in the kitchen and, and there's, you know, one of Jesus' hands is back in the kitchen cutting up meat. And there's another, another hand of Jesus helping prepare sweet potatoes. And, and Jesus' word was open and Jesus was taught about. And we sang in this little, almost like a chapel at a state park, but it wasn't. But the music just resounded off the walls. And we actually sounded good. We're just not going to have to say much about it because I have a feeling those who went will tell other guys, you need to come and see because Jesus was there. That is really the heart of our text today. That is really the heart of what is traditionally called discipleship. When you see Jesus, when you see anything that you adore and give your heart and your affections to, you follow it. And when you adore and follow someone or something, you begin to do what? You begin to share that with others. I think what this text is showing us today is this. What we adore, and we do adore, 
We are adorers. We follow. And what we adore and follow, we invite others to follow. In Christian terms, we call this worship, discipleship, and evangelism. In secular terms, we call this click on, follow, and share. First thing is what we worship, what we adore, what we see. John here is inviting us to adore Jesus, to adore the one. Our context, I know some of you are a little frustrated because we did chapter 2 last week. But we're backing up, back into the week in the life of Jesus. John is documenting in these few chapters a week in the life of Jesus. Look at verse 29. John the Baptist, not John the disciple who wrote this gospel, but John the Baptist sees Jesus and he preaches a very simple and concise sermon. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not only is it a very simple sermon, it is to the point, isn't it? Behold, that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is a reminder to us before we go any further, you might get all sorts of things that we talk about and discuss and are taught in Sunday school. But from this pulpit, sermons should and by God's mercy will be Christ-centered. That is what we need. We need the one. And John the Baptist preaches this simple Christ-centered sermon. Look at verse 36. He follows up in our text the next day with the same sermon, but he does what I never do. He cuts things out and he makes it shorter. Behold, the Lamb of God. Notice the word in verse 36 for looked. The emphasis in Greek is that he looked intently at. It's not just look, oh, hey, check that guy out, or look at this, or, you know, look at this new video. It's look intently. John looks intently at Jesus and summons his followers, his own disciples, to do the same. In other words, he says, quit looking at me. I want you to shift your intense focus and attention to him. I must decrease, John says. He must increase. Behold, the Lamb of God, this is the one. This is him. See him. Look intently at him. Behold him. Worship him. Adore him. It is a reminder to us to ask the question, what do we behold? What do we behold? What do we love looking at? What captivates us? What captures our hearts? What holds our hearts? Jesus said this, that your eyes are the lamp of your body. In other words, get on your computer and look at your browser history. 
that will tell you what you love and adore. We are beholders. We are adorers. We are easily captivated. And I think this is a reminder to us that we look at whom or what that we think will do two things. Take away our sin and soothe our weary consciences when we think our sin isn't taken away. In other words, when we lose focus from the Lamb of God, we think our sin isn't taken away. I heard somebody jokingly say this weekend, well, I can eat these carbs because I just took a, took a run, right? You take a run, you lose, you can put back in. And, and we do these things that involve all sorts of cycles. Now, I'm not getting on exercise. Exercise is a great thing. But, but we can look to all sorts of things to take away our sin. We can look to our righteousness compared to other people's. We can look to diet and we can look to exercise. We can, talk, we can look at spiritual disciplines. We can look at cleanliness. Things that we, we get OCD about and if they're not in place or how we want them, then we just feel dirty, right? And when we feel dirty, when we think our sin isn't taken away, we, our eyes will gravitate and look to that which will soothe our consciences. We might look at the medieval monks traveling and all these pilgrimages and climbing up steps and sackcloth and we might sort of laugh at that in our sophistication, but, but we need our consciences soothed as well. So we will turn to drink, we will turn to narcotics, we will turn to browsing, we will turn to pornography, we will turn to Zillow, sports, because we are beholders, we are those who worship. John is imploring us in his sermon, behold, this is the Lamb of God that actually came into the world that all of the Old Testament pointed to and His main purpose was to take away your sin. Look at Him. Look to Him. You may have heard this story about these little birds called puffins. And they're in Iceland and when a puffin is born, eventually what it does to learn to fly on its own and to go out on its own, it will, it will be drawn by the light of the moon. And it will go toward the light of the moon. And when it does, it will get to these cliffs and it will, it will jump out and it will learn to fly. And it will learn how to be a great puffin. But there's a problem. Even in Iceland... More and more light pollution, right? And now these puffins are born, and what do they do? They start moving away from the moon's light, and they start going toward the city lights. And so they have these days where people, all these volunteers gather, and they get these little puffins, and they take them out to the cliffs, and they throw them over the cliff. 
John is saying, don't go to those lights. They cannot take away your sin. They'll actually cause you to not thrive and flourish as the, as the person that God, as you look to Jesus, will make you. He wants us to behold and look and see and adore. Because what we adore, what we look at, what we see, what we worship, we follow. And John is showing us in this passage that we are built and designed to follow Jesus. We are built as followers. Are you on Instagram? How many followers do you have? Do you follow other people? We are followers. We follow teachings. We follow methodology. We follow all sorts of things and people. Jesus says, I am the one that you are to follow. In fact, what John is saying here, look at, um, look at verse 37. This is interesting. You have John the Baptist, who is what the, the Bible basically calls a forerunner, not the Toyota forerunner, but the one who comes before Jesus, just like Elijah in the Old Testament was running before King Ahab in that weird passage where he picks up his robe, you know, and he just runs and runs, and he's called a forerunner of the king. John the Baptist is the forerunner of all forerunners. He is the greatest forerunner in the Bible. He is going in the spirit of Elijah before the one, King Jesus. And Jesus calls John the Baptist the greatest Christian, so to speak, in the history of the Bible. He says there is no one on earth greater than this man. If you are going to follow someone you should follow John the Baptist. If you are going to buy a book, don't buy that one, don't buy that one, buy the one that John the Baptist wrote. If you are going to hear somebody preach, go listen to John the Baptist. If you are going to follow someone, follow John the Baptist. And this is what John the Baptist says, don't follow me. Follow him. In fact, so much so that verse 37 when the two disciples hear what John says, and John implores them to look at Jesus and follow him, they drop the greatest Christian of their day like a bad habit, and they follow Jesus. They follow Jesus. We are disciples, aren't we? We are built to follow two things about discipleship here and following Jesus. First of all, we see in this text that discipleship, verse 38, begins with seeking. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus turned and saw them following him and said to them, What are you seeking? Isn't that a great question? That is a piercing question. Fritz, in all those trail categories where you're trying to ride faster than your buddies and get a little, you know, little trophy, a digital trophy that your friends see and applaud you for, what are you seeking? I just, I just want to be, I just want to exercise, be in shape. 
no, mm -mm. what are you really, when you click on that site, what are you seeking? When you parade your righteousness before men, what are you seeking? See, Jesus, the Bible always pushes this point that before we are thinkers, and sorry emotional people like me, before you're emotional, before your emotions even fire, you are a seeker. It's your heart, not your physical heart, but what the Bible says, the center of your being. You are a bundle of wants and desires and seeking. And as we say in this pulpit on a regular basis, if you are not going to that level and you're just dealing with your thoughts and your emotions and your physical stuff, you're missing it. You're missing Jesus. We are a bundle of seeking. We are seekers. John 5, we mentioned this several months ago in one of my saddle writings, but I want to go back to this. In John 5, Jesus is having this conversation with the religious leaders. And they're parading their teaching and their works before men. And Jesus looks at them and goes, why are you trying to seek your glory from other people? That coach, that teacher, that spouse, even that mentor, that pat on the back. Why do you need that? And then Jesus doesn't say, quit trying to seek glory. He says, seek that glory from God. You're glory seekers. You're built for it. Think about your desire for love. I had a friend of mine who thought he found the one. And two years later, she presented him with papers. He said, I'm done with women. About a month later, got a girlfriend. Well, I'm done with marriage. Okay. Now he's got another girlfriend. And he finally confessed to me, he said, I'm just a hopeless romantic. And then he said this. I thought this was fascinating. He said, I'm in love with love. I'm in love with love. I said, do you think that those women can give that deep sense of need of love to you that you're looking for? No, but I'm going to keep dating them. I know it won't work, but I'm going to keep dating them. So do you think there's a God that can break that cycle and give you the love you were designed for? Someone that you would adore and follow. Discipleship begins with seeking. Jesus says, what are you seeking? Would you be honest and ask yourself or ask others to ask you that question? I dare you to do that. Secondly, discipleship means abiding. Look at verses 38 and 39. What are you seeking? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? That is the word for abide, remain. He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. See, it means 
abiding in Jesus. It's the same word in John 15 where Jesus says, here's how you are going to bear fruit. You're not going to bear fruit by coming to me and then sort of shutting the door and moving on to works and the law and the commandments and holiness and all these things that you want to do. You want to be a good spouse or be a good parent or be a good citizen. Jesus says if you want that kind of goodness and fruit of the Spirit, you've got to remain in me. Literally, he says, remain in my love. When I give you that love that you are seeking, it will bear fruit. 2 Kings 19, God says to the people, to Israel, he says, when your roots go downward, what happens, gardeners? You bear fruit upward. The more those roots go into the soil of Jesus' love, we will bear fruit. So one quick thing on this. Is Jesus continuing to disciple you? Are you remaining in Him or are you going somewhere else? But it also means abiding in a relationship. Yes, with God, with others. But at the heart of discipleship, look at what He's saying here. Where are you staying? Come and see. They stayed with Him all that day and pretty much for the rest of their lives until he left. Do you see the difference there? See, when we think about discipleship, we think about methodology. Here, I'm going to take you through that program. And that, there's, there's a good place for that. Programs, or here, read this book. Or, or, or more so, when we think of learning in general, it's sitting in a classroom, someone does the talking, we take notes, and then we try to pass a test. That is not discipleship. An important component is learning knowledge. That is not discipleship. Discipleship is far more immersive, intrusive. See, they hung out with Jesus all day long. They were in his life. He was in their life. They were around his table. He was around their table. They went everywhere together except probably the bathroom, but we don't even know that. Thank you for laughing, young child. <laughs> See, discipleship in those days was very different from how we think about it today. Very different. It was immersive. You abided, you stayed, you remained. I was talking to uh, Aaron Roach, a new gentleman here. We were coming back from the retreat, and I was asking him his story and his background, and he gave me permission to share this. Very mature young man, good job, following Jesus, clearly a disciple, great testimony. Aaron, don't let me down. Just kidding. And I said, well, tell me about your story. And, and you know, he said, didn't have a great dad. You know, it wasn't an ideal situation. Had a single mother. She did the best she could. And so what question is going through my mind? Well, how did you get from there to here? And of course I said, who was it? Who influenced you? Who discipled you? And before I could get it out of my mouth, he said, 
but there was a wrestling coach. And I was like, here it comes. This guy kept asking me to be on the team. Finally, I joined the team. And this coach poured his life into his students. If you wrestled, he wrestled. If you were on the mat, he was on the mat. He stayed after practice. He invited you into his world. That's discipleship. Quick question, and we'll get to the final point. What we adore disciples us. We follow. And, and what we see all throughout Scripture is Jesus disciples his children. And at Redeemer, we don't have this great big program of discipleship. But if you are not being discipled by someone or a few people or some, you know, group of, you know, this person, that person, whatever. If, if you don't have someone involved in your life like that, please talk to me or Murray. We would love to facilitate that. And I also want to say this really quickly. You hear me say this on a regular basis. I'm the biggest fan of podcasts podcast and YouTube videos, they are helpful. You can learn to fix a car, but you can't ask them questions. They're just talking. Discipleship is far more than talking. It's immersive. It's abiding. It's remaining. It's relational. Last thing, when something has our heart, we follow. What do we inevitably do? We share. We invite others. What we adore, we follow. What we follow, we can't stop yapping about. We post and we repost. We tweet and we retweet. We invite others to follow. you got to see this, as Murray said earlier. you got to come to this. Watch this. That's how we're built. We evangelize. Even if you don't like the word evangelism because you've seen maybe bad versions of it or you're afraid of it or whatever, this is not proselytizing proselytizing is coercing. It literally means to convert or attempt to convert. We don't convert people. We don't even really attempt to convert people. What we do is exactly what you see the disciples here. We just find others we're close to. We find others. The word for find is used five times. Wow, this is the one. I'm with him you got to come meet this guy. you got to come see him. And notice where they started. They started with close family and friends. What did Andrew do? He went and got his brother. Now you think about that for a second. Your brothers, you have probably fought most of your life. Your brother could look at you and go, I don't believe it, anything you say. But he followed him, didn't he? You think, well, I don't have, you know, my friends see my sin. They don't, they're never going to go to it. They might. If your heart is taken with Jesus and you're following him, you look at others and you say, come and see. Come and see. This God has captured my heart. What we adore, we follow. What we follow, we invite others to follow. 
Let me, let me kind of come to a close here. Why is Jesus worth adoring and following and inviting others to follow? It goes back to what we said earlier. It goes back to the assurance of pardon. This is not just the one. This isn't just Neo that, again, defeats some sort of matrix evil. This is the one that cancels your sin. Behold, this is the Lamb of God that takes away all your need to cancel your own sin. All your need to prove your righteousness. All your desires to clean yourself and project yourself as better than you are. This is the guy that takes it all away. You know we live in a culture that is at aptly called a cancel culture. I am so afraid. Thank God I was not online in the, my teen years. Someone could go back and go, look at what Fritz Game said. He was a racist. I was. But you know what? Jesus canceled that sin. He didn't cancel me. Look at the end of this section. What, what does he say to Peter? Peter, I know what you're like. Notice he looked at Peter. He probably saw all sorts of things. And he's God. He knows what's coming with Peter. He knows that Peter's a racist. And I'm telling you, if you're a racist today, you can't find forgiveness of your sin anywhere but Jesus. If you're a sexist, you got porn addiction problems, you are an extreme right or an extreme left and you just beat people up with it, the other side's always going to cancel you. You can find forgiveness and cancellation of your sin in Jesus. Think about Peter. This is the guy that preached at Pentecost. And you know what he did a couple years later? He was a racist. Paul walked into the room and said, Dude, what are you doing? But you know what? Paul didn't cancel him. He didn't say, You're off the team. We're excommunicating you. He did gently rebuke him. But he did it with the gospel. He said, You're not living in line with the gospel. Well, what is the gospel? that Jesus came into this world to take away our record of sin, the wall of hostility that was not just between us and other people, but first of all, between us and God, Jesus removed it. And that is something good to talk about. As I walked through the hall this morning with my banana for my five-minute break to come down here and pray with the musicians. I lean into every classroom, and every teacher was telling the same story. It was about Joshua and Jericho and these walls that came down. It was a miracle because God did it. Do you need someone to take down that wall? Well, let what about that wall between you and other people, that wall of hostility? 
You keep keeping records of their sin and they keep... The only thing that's going to change that is when you find your life in God destroying that wall that stood between you and Him. And all you did was walk around the wall blowing a trumpet. You really did nothing. Jesus cancels our sin. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We get to see that right before our eyes and taste and see God's goodness. Let me pray. Lord, use a crooked stick, uh, just another speck in the matrix uh, to let us see the gospel. Let us Behold the Lamb of God. We do not do a good job and we try to bear our own sin or take it away. But you sure did. Let us feed on Christ today. Be strengthened by him. That we might believe, that we might follow, we might invite others to see and taste that you indeed are good. That there is life in your name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.